Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. mentioned last Wednesday that I thought this was a good month to take a break from our study in the Psalms. We had a missionary at the beginning of the month, and then Tommy preached before Easter while I was gone, and uh, we looked at Romans last week. Um, But uh, throughout God's Word, especially in the New Testament, uh, and we've even been reminded of it a number of times as we've studied in Hebrews on Sunday mornings, But uh, throughout the New Testament, God routinely urges us to intentionally direct our thoughts here and now to then and there, uh, to heaven, to our our eternity with Christ. There is definite power um, for living for Jesus Christ and uh, in living in victory over sin when we remind ourselves of where and what we have been saved from and where we are headed to. And there's definite power for battling the distractions of this world when we will meditate and dwell on eternity. There's motivation for us to stay on mission. There's so many benefits for our strength to live in this world as citizen ambassadors of our eternal home when we obey God's word in setting our hope on heaven. We're going to be in Jeremiah 32, and uh, I'm going to ask, Tommy, can you throw that verse up there just so you didn't have to flip back? But uh, using it as kind of a springboard, First um, Timothy or First Peter one thirteen, um, God says, "Gird up the loins of your mind." That's what God tells us through Peter. Um, be sober, hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, so we are to um, intentionally set our hope on the end of our grace. Uh, We're living in grace now, but we will have salvation fully and finally when Jesus Christ returns at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, And as I was studying Jeremiah, and I know some of you were doing it with me, you might use the same uh, little devotional app I use, at least in the mornings. Um, I came across a powerful example here that that I, I had failed to ever remember hearing of in Jeremiah's life and ministry. Jeremiah doing this, setting his hope uh, on, on heaven, setting his hope on eternity. And uh, he does that here in Jeremiah 32. I think one of the difficulties that we have in, in considering uh, that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, at least doing it consistently, at least for me, it's um, like I don't know when exactly that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, not, not entirely sure. It, at times, it seems potentially so distant. I know with all the things happening in the world and in my lifetime, uh, we get, we get uh, signals if we pay attention to what God says in Scripture that we don't think it's very far off. Um, but it can potentially seem so distant that we, it restricts the impact that us meditating on this hope has in our day-to-day lives. 
Can I just encourage you, if Jeremiah could do it 2,500 years ago, that's when he wrote this. Um, if he could do it then, it, we're obviously closer to that day now ourselves. I think we can learn from his hope-setting example. I want to read verses 6 to 15 uh, initially here. Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 6. It says, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and he saith unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, and I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him in the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidences of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison." And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, so they will continue many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Let's pray before we begin studying this. Father, as we come to your word tonight, uh, it is something you've told us throughout just about every book in, in the New Testament. You call Christians, Jesus followers, to set their hope uh, on his return, to have that be a daily, a constant, a consistent thing that we're looking to. It's quite impossible to live the Christian life when we, when we don't. Lord, I pray that you would teach us through... Uh, Jeremiah's example, his testimony tonight. How to do that, how important it is to do that. And I ask that this in Jesus' name, a amen. All right, so if, if we are going to obey the command that God gave us there in 1 Peter and set our hope uh, on Christ's return, if we're going to follow Jeremiah's example here of setting our hope on eternity with Christ, we need to recognize that when we do to the world, it is nonsensical. I know we jumped into this passage, not just the sixth verse of chapter 32, but we jumped into chapter 32 of Jeremiah. So let me attempt to bring you up to speed about where, where this is, uh, the context, quickly, as I, if I can. Uh, Israel, God's people, they have been living for generations in, in idolatry in sin. They've forsaken God, they've forsaken his word, they've forsaken his will for their lives, and they have been worshiping idols and living in sin. So God calls the prophet Jeremiah to give a message to the leaders of Israel, to the people of Israel, that because of their sin, God is going to send Babylon to invade their land. And they're going to conquer it completely. And, and even send the majority of the people who weren't killed in the invasion and the conquest, to send them into exile in Babylon. That's where Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and hundreds and thousands of others went. Um, Jeremiah, he had a tough message to preach. That was what God told him. Tell, tell Israel this. Tell the leaders, the king, everybody. Tell them that, that Babylon's coming. That's a tough message he had to preach. 
that God told him, he honestly told him at the beginning, opening chapters of Jeremiah, he said, um, listen, when you deliver this, no, one, no one's going to listen to you. Not a single person is going to listen to you. But preach it anyway. And Jeremiah did. He, he told God's people to repent, but he said, if you don't repent, and they didn't, that they would fall. Israel, Jerusalem, they'd fall to the invading Babylonian army. And, and that's the context for this chapter. It's where we find ourselves now. And I guess you could call chapter 32 zero hour because Jerusalem is surrounded. All the rest of Israel has already been captured. And now Jerusalem is the last stand, the capital city. It's surrounded. They're being besieged. Uh, people are starving inside. Uh, they're dying of dehydration inside. Water supply has been cut off. Um, you can read from other passages in uh, Old Testament, Second Kings, Second Chronicles. There's cannibalism going on. It's that bad. It's that bad. Um, and all the other cities, all the other villages, the entire rest of the nation of Israel has already been conquered. Jeremiah's in prison. He's in prison in Jerusalem here because of his preaching. So, so this is a scene where we find this passage that we just read together. And God has another message for Jeremiah. It says in verse 6, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, here's another message. It's not something to preach this time. It's something to do. Jeremiah is going to get a visitor in prison, his cousin Hanamiel. And his cousin wants to offload some property. And Jeremiah, as a family member, he has first dibs uh, on purchasing that property. Now, considering all that's going on, in Jeremiah's world right now. Is that an important thing for him to do? Would it be a wise thing for him to do? Is it a sensible thing for him to do? Um, is the real estate market, is it typically hot during a military invasion? The, the selling part might be. Um, the Coldwell Banker Jerusalem office is probably dumping properties left and right. And I think that's what's going on here, even in Hanamiel's life. At the darkest hour of Israel's history to this point, Jeremiah buys real estate. Why else would this be a completely nonsensical thing to do for anyone who was watching it or hearing it or 2,500 years later reading about it? Well, for one, uh, it, that piece of property in Anathoth, it, it might currently be in the possession of Hanamiel. I, I don't think it is. But even if it was, it won't be for long. Um, and I'm no real estate investment expert, but I've watched enough of those TV shows about flipping houses and things like that, that they tell you what's, what's important in real estate investment. Location, location, location. Yeah. And um, this field's location, it's an anathoth. We've been told that three times in this passage. Remember, this is Jerusalem's last stand. Anathoth's only three miles outside of Jerusalem, but it's in Benjamin. Benjamin's already been captured. Uh, so this would be like our, our U.S. government trying to sell a military base in Afghanistan right now. It's not ours. That, that's not our land anymore. It's not even Hannah Meals really to sell. Uh, the Babylonians own it. So from a worldly perspective, from, from just a business mindset, uh, even just normal human logic, the 17 shekels, 7 ounces of silver, and I did all I could reading commentaries. Nobody could actually say, was that a good deal or a bad deal? I can think we all can agree it was a bad deal. It didn't matter if he paid 5 cents for it. 
it would have been a bad deal from a business perspective. Um, but, but really, from, from the worldly mindset, Jeremiah might as well just toss that money out the window or, or gave it away. Would Jeremiah even be released to own it? He's currently in prison. He's already violated that, that whole location, location, location rule, but he probably also went against another piece of investment wisdom. He bought this land sight unseen. He's in prison. So, uh, yeah, a nonsensical decision. Crazy. Or was it? No, it wasn't crazy. It was faithful, and we're headed there in just a second. But, but the thing I want to stress that God's Word is trying to communicate to us so far is that when we set our hope on heaven, when we live here and now for it, then and there, when we live as a sojourner, like we're called to do, a pilgrim in this world, um, a lot of times that is going to seem crazy, completely nonsensical to the standard human mindset. So expect that. You know, and I'd even go as far to say own that. Let them call you crazy. I, I talked with someone who was struggling with that just a week ago or so. They were being verbally persecuted. I mean, we don't have full-on persecution like some countries do, but it's still not fun when you get made fun of for taking a stand for your biblical convictions, especially when it happens from another believer. And um, they were, I mean, it was just hurtful. They were called weird. And I don't know if I would say this to just any Christian, but because of the relationship we have, my advice to them when they saw, how do I respond to this and what should I do? They said, well, for one, you are weird. <laughs> you are weird. And that's okay. And I'm glad you are. I'm glad you are. Praise God, we all ought to be a little weird uh, in this world, to this world. In church, something is tragically wrong when our lives make sense all the time to unbelievers. It ought not be. Do we have a different king? We do. We have a different value system. We should have different loves. We should think different thoughts. We should make different choices. We should live different lives. Because we have set our hope on something and someone that's different. Jeremiah sure did in what he did here, didn't he? But, but it had a purpose. I mean, he wasn't just weird for weird's sake. Then, and don't do that. Uh, don't be different for difference sake. There's a purpose behind even our peculiarity. Would you look at, at verse 11 now? When, when we set our hope on heaven to the Lord, it's faithful. And so in verse 11, it describes Jeremiah. He bought the land and then he took the evidence uh, of it. And we're, we find out in the next verses that he, he gets these two copies and he puts them in an earthen vessel. He's made the purchase and it's what he, he does next that helps us understand his, I guess you could call it investment strategy. It may be nonsensical to the world, but, but this message that Jeremiah is, he's actually preaching in action. as a sermon he's giving by behavior. It makes a lot of sense to someone who has their hope set on God's promises. Uh, he takes those legal documents, two. They have two that were drawn up. I wish we could get back to that. When we bought our house, it was like two hours of signing stacks of things. They had two. One would be sealed, so it was proven that nobody messed with it. One was open, so everybody could read it. And um, then it says in, in verse 14 that he took both of them and he put them in an earthen vessel, a clay pot that was sealed with, with tar pitch. So what's that all about? 
Well, it, it's the Old Testament equivalent of a fireproof safety deposit box. It's the same type of jars that held and preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls for hundreds of years. And, and the purpose behind all of this, verse 15 is the key. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. That's why it did it. Jeremiah says, God's not done here. Um, yeah, I'm in prison, but I have his promise. Jerusalem is besieged, and thus saith the Lord, it is going to fall. And, uh, but also thus saith the Lord, too, that there's going to be a restoration. And, and it's this action, it's these actions of actually purchasing the property and then preserving the title deed that show, it shows Jeremiah's faith in the Lord. So what's nonsensical to the world can often at the same time be faithful to the Lord. Um, anyone can have some mental hope. But, but when hope is actually lived out in our choices and, and our actions, that's when we're truly being faithful. It's when faith moves from here or here to our behavior. We're being full of faith in God and, and his word. And, and faith and works are not two, two diametrically opposed things in God's word. They're, they're subject and verb. Faith works. We're seeing this in Jeremiah's life here. Genuine belief always is evidence in behavior. And sometimes, usually in the Christian life, it'll be behavior that's nonsensical to the world. It's possible that Hanamiel, uh, he had heard this message of Jeremiah before. This is not the first time Jeremiah has preached that Babylon is going to come in, they're going to wipe you out, but God, God is going to bring you back. It'll be 70 years, he's going to bring you back. And so many times it also has application to Israel's final return being brought back when Christ returns at his second advent. It's possible that Hanamiel had heard this from Jeremiah. Uh, we don't have a verse that states such, but it's possible that he tried to offload this to brothers and sisters. They didn't want it. Who could blame them? So he goes to his cousin in prison who has said, we're going to be back. I wonder if Hannah Mill said, okay, Jeremiah, put your money where your mouth is. You really believe? You're saying we're going to return? If so, buy this land from me. And finally, to, to the church, it's testimonial. A, a lot of God's people saw Jeremiah do this. Obviously, his cousin Hannah Mill did. And Jeremiah was buying it up because he knew what God said, that, that it would be his eventually. Jeremiah had a secretary, um, an amanuensis, probably because he was in prison, and a lot of times he was in a pit. I don't know if they had pens and paper down there, but he told Baruch here. He told him what to write. We probably have the book of Jeremiah because, uh, because Baruch wrote that down, whatever God inspired Jeremiah to, to tell him. Baruch saw it. Uh, prisoners talked about that. All the prisoners were witnesses of this deed. They, you know, they were signed their name as a witness. It's kind of crazy, though. Surrounded by people in prison, in a city that's besieged and ready to be destroyed, I think we would all call that a pretty hopeless situation. And Jeremiah set his hope on the restoration that God promised.
He had faith in the future that was ahead for those who are the Lord's. And to God's people, this might have been the most powerful message that Jeremiah ever preached. Just in what he did in his faithful actions. 2,500 years later, we are hearing and reading and studying that testimony. Tonight, we have this Old Testament example of obedience so that we can follow Christ's command in that verse we looked at earlier, 1 Peter 1.13. And I wonder, do you find yourself a little hopeless at times with all that's going on in the world? I do. And maybe it's not even all that. Maybe it's just private things going on in your life that are causing hopelessness. And Jesus tells us in 1 Peter 1.13, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Think. Intentionally think. Hope to the end. Set your hope and the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are only two recorded prayers of Jeremiah in, in the Old Testament. We have one of them uh, right here. And I think it would bless us to read it. And maybe even as you, you follow along, join, join in this prayer. Make it a prayer. Um, join Jeremiah in prayer. Don't, don't just spectate and read. Let's read verses 16 to 25. Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel, mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the Son of Man to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day. And has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with a great terror. And has given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it, but they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. And therefore thou hast caused all of this evil to come upon them. Behold the mounts. They're coming to the city to take it. The Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine and the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass. And behold, thou seest it. And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money and take witnesses for the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Especially at the end of this prayer, some commentators and theologians believe that Jeremiah might be having second thoughts about what he had just done. You know, buying that piece of property. And that, that could be. Um, I'm not sure that's the case, though. Uh, what, what I do see in that prayer is a very David-like moving from fear to faith um, trajectory. I mean, look, look at how he starts out that prayer in verse 17. <laughs> What a beautiful verse, isn't that? Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth with your great power. Is there anything too hard for you? Look, if you're, if you're struggling with faith, that's a good way to start out a prayer. 
you'll ascend, you'll ascend in trajectory from fear to faith pretty quick when you remember that. And isn't that what David does, what we've been taught in the Psalms over and over again? That, that when we are struggling with fear or, or doubt and we don't want to stay there, it's not good for us, it's not glorifying to God, what are we supposed to do? We focus on the facts. We remember who God is. We remember what God's done so that we have faith to believe in what God's promised to do right now and tomorrow. And isn't that what he does here? Focusing on the facts, what God has done. Who is God? In verse 17. You're the creator. <laughs> you, you hung the stars in place. You spoke everything into existence. So even though I'm in prison and I'm seeing my nation about to be completely destroyed, is it possible that 70 years later, just like you promised, we'll be back here? Is it possible that this piece of land I just brought, that it'll, it'll be mine again? And that's what he's doing. And, he, and then so he goes all the way back. He goes back to Genesis, right? But he doesn't stop there in, in that prayer. Then he also talk about not just the beginning of the universe, but their beginning as a people. God, I remember when you redeemed us out of Egypt. You, you parted the seas. Jeremiah wasn't there. He had heard it from dad who had heard it from grandpa who had heard it from great-grandpa and great-grandpa how essential it is that we, we focus on the facts and remember who God is and what God's done in the past his faithfulness he's never failed so is this the time this my situation is going to be the one where he doesn't come through of course not uh, I mean yeah there's mounts he can see those verse 24 he's talking about the ramps that they were built up, you know, they're getting nearer and nearer to overtaking the city. They've been choking us out for months. Any moment they're going to come in. I can see those, God. You see them, God. There's sword. There's famine. We don't have any food in here. No food's been getting in. There's pestilence. There's diseases because nobody's going out. Not all that I can see. And thus saith the Lord that you said this was going to happen, God. All of these things you said were going to happen because we forsook you. It's your corrective discipline of us and love. And verse 25 reviews God's test of Jeremiah's faith, but also Jeremiah's testimony of faithfulness to God in this nonsensical to the world and faithful to God action. Because he says, I did it. You told me to do it. I obeyed. It's crazy. It's crazy what I just did, but I believe you, and I did it, God. Let me close tonight with God's response, and we're not going to read the whole rest of the chapter, but it's important because it's pretty rare that we get an answer like this. <laughs> I mean, it was right after. He basically said amen in, in verse 25, and then verse 26, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, God answers him. Now, check out verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Doesn't that sound a lot like verse 17? Ah, Lord God, you made the heavens and the earth. Is there anything too hard for you? No, there isn't. There isn't, Jeremiah. I can do this. I know it seems, wow, a long shot. You're in prison. City's about to fall. 70 years is a long time to hold on to a piece of property. And you look at verses 36 to 44. Let's read those because they're important. They talk about Christ's return. And now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city whereof ye say, 
It shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whether I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in my great wrath. And I'll bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I'll give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will plant them in this land as surely with my whole heart, with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon these people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And fields shall be bought in this land, whereof you say it is desolate without man or beast. It is given to the hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in this land of Benjamin and in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and the cities of the mountains and in the cities of the valley and the cities of the south. For I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. Again, there's a dual application and fulfillment here. This happened 70 years later. When Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back, and walls were built up again, and land was sold again, and business was done again. But this can't mean only about that. Because um, the new covenant wouldn't be initiated for a couple hundred more years when Jesus first came. And even then, did they all receive Christ? The Jews, the God's people received Christ when he first came? No. So, so this is talking about a second coming, when they, they will. When he will turn their hearts to him. Jeremiah is even seeing that. Not just 70 years, he's seeing millennia into the future here. That's God's prophetic promise. Yeah, 70 years later, exiles would return, just, just as God promised. I don't know if a descendant of Jeremiah would ever open up that pot say that's my land I know Jeremiah didn't a couple months after this when, when Babylon invaded and the city was destroyed they left Jeremiah there and then some people took him down to Egypt and um, historical accounts say he was stoned there because he kept preaching <laughs> Jeremiah never got this this land here maybe one of his descendants did but when you look at verses 36 and 44 the things promised here, they didn't happen entirely in that initial return. There's another return that they speak of, and one that we are waiting on, um, especially in verses 39 and 40. Those promises will only be fulfilled at Christ's second coming. Promises like turning the hearts of his people, Israel, back to him. That's the same event that we, for, we wait for. Um, it's the same coming event that we are looking for, or we should be, according to 1 Peter 1, 13, and really in the example of Jeremiah here. God's telling us to set our hearts on heaven. Are you doing that? Do the things that you value and desire, do the things that you think and say and do, do they seem nonsensical to people who don't have the same hope that you do? And they should. They should look different. You should be different. Um, they should be nonsensical to the world because they are faithful to God. And when that happens, they will be a testimony to the church. Other Christians need you to live out this hope that is set on heaven so that they can too. If you do not keep the eyes of your heart focused on the paradise that is to come, you will try to turn this sorry fallen world into a paradise it cannot be. You'll be really frustrated. 
what concrete actions of faith? Now, I'm not telling you to go buy a plot in Israel. Don't go home tonight and, and Google what's for sale in, in Israel right now. But what concrete actions of faith is God asking you to make right now tonight to better set your hope on heaven? What needs to change so, so that your behavior lines up with what you say you believe? Jesus is coming back. I have an eternity in heaven. What needs to change in your life? Because it doesn't really, what you're thinking, what you believe, what you're saying doesn't always line up with what you do. That, that your hope is not in anything else. Or that it's not in anyone else here. But it's in him. That's in heaven. Ahead. Where is God saying, put your money where your mouth is? You know, until he calls us home or until he returns, it should be our prayer. God, God help us to never fail to set our hope on where we are headed and in the one on whose promise to return for us and to restore us. I'm going to ask Tommy to come and the praise team.